0: This article is the result of reader comments following my past article, "12 Major Battles of the Vietnam War." https slash 2017 one 3 12 major battles of the vietnam war There were many comments split between my Vietnam Facebook groups and following the posted article that challenged the word "major," insisting that any time participants were fired upon and placed in harm's way, then in their minds it wasn't just a skirmish, ambush or sniper to them, it was a major experience. Personally, I never knew the names of any of the operations or battles that I had participated in. All I know is when the shooting started, it was a battle, doesn't matter if it lasted five minutes or sporadically for a month. I've listed those battles mentioned from your comments along with notes and pictures about each one. Due to its size, 31,000 words and 136 pages, the equivalent of a short novel, I split the article into three parts so the page loads faster. I've added as much detail as possible to see the big picture and hope it meets with your approval. I also hope that readers find this article educational and learn more about the Vietnam War from the information provided. Kudos to anyone able to read the entire article in one setting. Note that these engagements are neither listed chronologically nor are they in order of importance. They are only suggestions deemed important to mention from my readers. They are also posted in the order that I recorded them from your notes. Part 1. Operation Prairie I-4. Battle of Khan Battle of Dong Ha. Operation Allen Brook. Operation Hump. Battle of Unlock. Operation Lam Sun 719. Part 2. Battle of Quang Tri Province. Battle of Banhat Special Forces Camp. Battle of Gia, The Hill Fights. Battle of Trang Bang. Battle of Tam Quang. Part 3. Operation Cedar Falls. Operation Dewey Canyon. The Cambodian Campaign. Attack on FSBJ. Attack on FSB Illingworth. Battle of Apgu. Dash. Battle of Quang Tri Province. The battle for Quang Tri occurred in and around Quang Tri City, Quang Tri Province, the northernmost provincial capital of Republic of South Vietnam during the Tet Offensive when the Viet Cong and People's Army of Vietnam, PAVN, attacked Army of the Republic of Vietnam, ARVN, and American forces across major cities and towns in South Vietnam in an attempt to force the Saigon government to collapse. This included several attacks across Northern I Corps, most importantly at Hue, Da Nang, and Quang Tri City. After being put on the defensive in the city of Quang Tri, the anti-communist forces regrouped and forced the communists out of the town after a day of fighting. Quang Tri City looking northeast, fall 1967. The Quang Tri Citadel is at the upper left with Trai Bu village beyond it. The Han River is in the center. In 1968, Quang Tri City was a small market town and the capital of Quang Tri province, the northernmost province of South Vietnam, bordering North Vietnam to the north and Laos to the west. Like the old imperial capital at Hue, Quang Tri City is located on Route 1. It is about 10 kilometers, 6.2 miles, inland from the South China Sea along the eastern bank of the Thach Han River, 25 kilometers, 16 miles, south of the former demilitarized zone. Because Quang Tri City was an important symbol of South Vietnamese government authority and was arguably the most vulnerable provincial capital in South Vietnam, it was a prime target of the North Vietnamese during the 1968 Tet Offensive. The North Vietnamese had attacked and briefly overrun and occupied the city 10 months earlier on April 6, 1967, in a large-scale coordinated attack by a reinforced Putin regiment, inflicting significant casualties on Allied forces before the attack was defeated. They freed 220 communist prisoners from a city prison, and caused widespread destruction at ARVN facilities in and around the city and in adjacent districts. The permanent loss of the city to the communists would be a political embarrassment and weaken the government's legitimacy, and would allow the establishment of a communist administrative center in the south. The question was not whether the Communists would attack Quang Tri-City again, but when. Particularly given their failure to hold Quang Tri-City after overrunning and briefly occupying it in April 1967 despite committing a large force of about 2,500 men, the Communists became more aware of the difficulties of attacking and capturing the city. In the weeks before Tet, they had attempted to lure Allied forces from the coastal lowlands to the mountains by threatening several of the Marine combat bases along Highway 9 in the western part of the province but while the U.S. Marines had shifted some forces to their base at Quezon, McCommanders had reinforced eastern Quang Tri Province in late January with the 1st Brigade of the 1st Cavalry Division. The existence of major American units near Quang Tri City came as a shock to the enemy, but with little time to make adjustments, the Communists decided to move forward with their original plan. ARVN 1st Regiment Airfield and Compound at La Vang Tianj, fall 1967, looking south. The brunt of the attack would fall on the ARVN forces in and around the city. These were the 1st Vietnamese Regiment, the 9th Airborne Battalion, an Armored Personnel Carrier, APC, troop attached to the 1st Regiment, 2nd Troop of the ARVN 7th Cavalry, the National Police, a paramilitary body led by regular military officers stationed within the city, and regional and popular force, militia elements in the city. The 1st Regiment had two of its battalions in positions to the north of the city, and one to the northeast, protecting pacified villages in those areas. The regiment's 4th Battalion was in positions south of the city and and around the regiment's headquarters at La Vang. One airborne company was bivouacked in Tribu Village on the northern edge of the city with elements in the citadel, and two airborne companies were positioned just south of the city in the area of a large cemetery where Highway 1 crosses Route 555. January 27, 1968 1st Cav LRP atop LZ Betty's water tower. The 1st Brigade of the 1st U.S. Cavalry Division commanded by Col. Donald V. Rattan had been moved from near Hue and Fu Bay six days earlier to Quang Tri Province, with its headquarters at landing zone Betty two kilometers south of Quang Tri City, with the bulk of its force at LZ Sharon, another kilometer south, in order to launch attacks on Communist base area 101 roughly 15 kilometers, 9.3 miles, to the west-southwest. The brigade had an additional mission to block approaches into the city from the southwest but was primarily focused on its offensive mission. Accordingly, had quickly established two fire bases, one 15 kilometers, 9.3 miles, west of the city and another in the middle of the communist base areas in the hills west of Tri City. The 2nd Brigade of the 101st Airborne Division was also moved into Tri Province in late January, reinforcing the two brigades of the 1st Cavalry in the area start of Tet Offensive as seen from LZ Betty's water tower. The coordinated communist assault was scheduled to begin at 0200 on 31st of January. The 10th sapper began its attacks on time, but the arrival and attacks of the PAVN infantry and artillery units were delayed by at least two hours by heavy rains and swollen streams, and their lack of familiarity with the geography of Quang Tri province, and they did not start to move into position until about 0400. As a result, regional and popular forces, local national police elements, and elements of the 1st ARVN Regiment located within the city were able to respond to the sappers without having to contend with the main attack at the same time. As the 814th Battalion was moving into position to attack Quang Tri from the northeast, it unexpectedly encountered the 9th ARVN Airborne Company in Tribu Village, which engaged it in a sharp firefight lasting about 20 minutes. The Airborne Company was nearly annihilated, and an American advisor killed, but its stubborn resistance stalled the 814th Battalion's assault on the citadel and the city. By 0420, the heavy communist pressure and overwhelming numbers forced the surviving South Vietnamese paratroopers to pull back into the city, and the 814th attacked and attempted to enter the citadel unsuccessfully. The assault against the eastern and southeastern part of the city was initially successful. At about 0420, as the 814th Battalion began its delayed assault on the citadel, the K 4 Battalion of the 812th Pavn Regiment skirted the lower edge of Tribu village and swarmed into the city attempting to seize strong points and assaulting the citadel from the south. South Vietnamese irregulars and national policemen slowed the enemy's advance, however, and its assaults on the southern wall of the citadel were beaten back. Adding to its difficulties was the failure of an expected general uprising it had been told to expect. To the south, the PUV K-6 battalion slammed unexpectedly into the two airborne companies resulting in an intense, extended firefight. Quang Tri City Looking South, Fall 1967, The citadel is in the lower center and right, the cemetery at the junction of Route 555 and Highway 1 is at the far upper center and left, Highway 1 runs east and west at that point, the bridge in the distance carried Highway 1 across the Thatchon River. Shortly after dawn the 1st Infantry Regimental Commander ordered his battalions to recapture the city. His three battalions north of Quang Tri-City began marching toward the capital. Along the way, they collided with the 808th Battalion blocking Highway 1 near the Cheyufan District headquarters which temporarily stopped their assault. At about the same time, ARVN troops at Lavang began moving north toward the fighting between the Airborne Companies and the K-6 Battalion in the cemetery south of the city, and were ambushed by the K-6TH, slowing their advance to a crawl. Fighting south of the city there was heavy throughout the morning. Only the NVA K-5 Battalion, holding a position in Hai Lang District to block reinforcements from Hu remained unengaged in the fighting. At the start of the communist attack, the ARVN 1st Regimental Headquarters at La Vang and Colonel Rattan's headquarters at landing zone Betty south of La Vang came under sporadic rocket and mortar attacks and ground assaults by elements of the 10th Sapper Battalion, while extremely heavy fog hampered visibility. The fog also prevented shifting the 1st Battalion of the 8th U.S. Cavalry Regiment, 1st Cavalry Division, its base camp in the mountains west of Quang Tri. The 1st battalion, 502nd Infantry Regiment of the 101st Airborne Division, which was under the control of the 1st Cavalry Division, continued its base defense mission and just west of Quang Tri. This left only the 1st battalion of the 12th US Cavalry Regiment and the 1st battalion of the 5th Cavalry Regiment to support the ARVN units engaged with the communist. Both battalions had opened new fire bases to the west of Quang Tri, along the river valley leading to Cao At approximately 1,345 on 31 January, Colonel Ratan directed the battalions to close out the new fire bases and launch assaults as soon as possible to reduce the communists' ability to bring additional forces into the city and also blocking their withdrawal. By 1,600, the cavalry battalions had air assaulted into five locations northeast, east, and southeast of Quang Tri City where Brewer intelligence sources had showed communist units located. The American helicopters received heavy fire as they landed troops east of the city in the middle of the heavy weapons support of the K-4 Battalion, and fighting there continued until 1900 as the Communists fought with machine guns, mortars, and recoilless rifles. Engaged by ARVN forces in and near the city, and by American forces on the east, the K-4 Battalion was soon overcome. Two companies of the 1st Battalion of the 5th Cavalry Air assaulted southeast of Quang Tri engaging the K-6 Battalion from the rear in a heavy firefight, while ARVN troops blocked and attacked it from the direction of the city. American helicopter gunships and artillery hit the communist troops hard causing significant further casualties. By nightfall on the 31st, the battered 812th Regiment decided to withdraw, though clashes continued throughout the night. Tri City was clear of communist troops by midday on 1st of February, and ARVN units with U.S. air support had cleared Tribu village of Povn troops. The remnants of the 812th, having been hit hard by ARVN defenders and American air power and ground troops on the outskirts of the city, particularly artillery and helicopters, broke up into small groups, sometimes mingling with crowds of fleeing refugees, and began to exfiltrate the area, trying to avoid further contact with Allied forces. They were pursued by the American forces in a circular formation forced contact with the fleeing communists over the next 10 days. Heavy fighting continued with large well-armed communist forces south of Quang Tri-City, and there were lighter contacts in other areas. This pursuit continued throughout the first 10 days of February. The American military considered the communist attack on Quang Tri without a doubt one of the major objectives of the Tet Offensive. They attributed the decisive communist defeat to the hard-nosed South Vietnamese defense, effective intelligence on communist movements provided by Robert Brewer, and the air-mobile tactics of the 1st Cavalry Division. Between 31 January and 6 February, the Allies killed an estimated 914 Communists and captured another 86 in and around Quang Tri City. The rapid defeat of the regimental-size enemy force that assaulted Quang Tri City proved to be one of the most decisive victories the Allies secured during the Tet Offensive. Aside from mopping up operations in the countryside, it was effectively over less than 24 hours after it had begun. Most elements of the 812th PAVN Regiment were so badly mauled that they avoided all contact for the next several weeks when they otherwise might have played a role in the battle for Hue 50 km, 31 miles, to the south. Losing the province capital would have been a severe blow to South Vietnamese morale, and POV units could have caused extensive damage to nearby ARVN and an American bases had they captured long-range ARVN artillery pieces in the citadel. They would also have cut off resupply traffic on Highway 1 to Allied forces along the DMZ and the Marines at Khe Sanh. The Poven swift defeat preserved an important symbol of South Vietnamese national pride and allowed the Allies to devote more resources to other battles in Northern I Corps, particularly to the struggle for Hue. The Battle of Ben Het Special Forces Camp, Ben Het Camp, also known as Ben Het Special Forces Camp, Ben Het Ranger Camp, and FSB Ben Het, is a former U.S. Army and Army of the Republic of Vietnam (ARVN) base northwest of Kontum in the Central Highlands of Vietnam. The camp was notable for being the site of a tank battle between the U.S. Army and the People's Army of Vietnam, PAVN, one of the few such encounters during the Vietnam War. The 5th Special Forces Group Detachment A244 first established a base at Ben Head in the early 1960s to monitor communist infiltration along the Ho Chi Minh Trail. The base was located approximately 13 kilometers from the Vietnam Laos Cambodia tri border area, 15 kilometers northwest of Doktu, and 53 kilometers northwest of Kontum one of 2.76s from the POVN-202nd Armored Regiment, destroyed by USM-48 Pattons, from the 169th Armored Battalion, during the Battle of Ban Het, March 3, 1969, Vietnam. On March 3, 1969, Ban Het was attacked by the POVN-66th Regiment, supported by armored vehicles of the 4th Battalion, 202nd Armored Regiment. One of the attacking PT-76s detonated a landmine, which alerted the camp and lit up the other PT-76s attacking the base. Flares were sent up, exposing adversary tanks, but sighting in on muzzle flashes. One PT-76 scored a direct hit on the turret of an M48 of the 1st Battalion, 69th Armor Regiment, killing two crewmen and wounding two more. Another M48, using the same technique, destroyed a PT-76 with their second shot. At daybreak, the battlefield revealed the wreckage of two PT-76s and one BTR-50 armored personnel carrier. The PAVN 28th and 66th regiments continued to besiege the base from May to June 1969. Since January 1972, it had become clear that the North Vietnamese were building up for offensive operations in the tri-border region. ARVN forces had been deployed forward toward the border in order to slow the PAVN advance and allow the application of air power to deplete North Vietnamese manpower and logistics. To counter the possible threat from the west, two regiments of the 22nd division were deployed to Tancon and Doc in the 1st Squadron. 19th Armored Cavalry Regiment, equipped with M41 tanks, was deployed to Ben Hat. On 24 April, the 2nd Pavn Division, elements of the 203rd Tank Regiment, and several independent regiments of the B 3 front Attack Tan Khan and Doctor rapidly overrunning both bases with their T 54 tanks. On May 9, 1972, elements of the Pavn 203rd Armored Regiment assaulted Ben Hat. ARVN Rangers destroyed the first three PT 76 tanks with BGM 71 TOW missiles, thereby breaking up the attack. The Rangers spent the rest of the day stabilizing the perimeter ultimately destroying 11 tanks and killing over 100 Poven. Battle of Banhat 1969 My friend, Frank Evans participated in this battle and wrote a book about it, Stand 2, A Journey to Manhood, which can be found on Amazon. Here is an excerpt about the battle. Greater than Banhat was under siege. Each day, a deadly flurry of artillery and mortar rounds destroyed bunkers and damaged equipment. Casualties increased. Small-scale ground attacks tested the defenses of the camp. Friendly patrols near the camp encountered enemy soldiers in groups of 5-10 to men daily. Frequently, larger enemy units operated near the camp. On a recent mission, a mobile strike force unit reported battling an entrenched battalion-sized force of at least 200. Convoys were ambushed regularly. Aircraft received ground fire at every attempt to land helicopters, and occasionally a C-130 or C-7A, dared to brave the machine gun and mortar fires on the airstrip to bring in supplies. Our radio communication with the tactical command post in Docta kept them informed about how defenses were holding up here. Greater than I began to appreciate the comparison that Sergeant Spence made between the French garrison at Dean Bienfou and Benhat. Morale was high in spite of the constant barrage of enemy fires. Internal exchanges also relied upon radio the least secure means of communication since the enemy could easily intercept them with a radio and the right frequency. We had to assume our conversations were being monitored. Intermittently, an unknown radio station attempted to obtain friendly information on the location of patrols and their activities. The more secure field telephone landline wire was repeatedly cut by the constant bombardment or by saboteurs. Greater than Sergeant Smith picked up the radio log and asked, anything going on this morning, sir? Greater than we had one siege Kia on the West Hill last night. One of the MSF units lost 2 Kia and 2 Wya, plus 2 US Wya. One was pretty badly wounded. They ran into bad guys in bunkers and took heavy automatic weapons fire. They're still in contact. The enemy has claymore mines, too. Greater than aha. Uh-huh. Must've captured some of our Claymore somewhere. I tell you, sir. The enemy's moving all over the place around here. They're getting bolder. Greater than we have 2 MSF companies reinforcing us plus the one here in the camp. Another one has been requested from Doc Peck to reinforce the MSF company in contact now. Spooky has been working the hills and trail networks. Greater than I heard it. Three Gatling guns. Man, 6,000 rounds per minute each. Sorta of sounds like, mm hmm. Those guns are spewing out red tracers every fifth round, but it looks like a steady stream of red lines from the aircraft to the ground. No wonder Charlie is afraid of the dragon. Thank you for the excerpt, Frank, and thank you for your service. Here too, is a YouTube video also describing the battle. The Battle of Ben Gia The Battle of Binh Gia, Vietnamese, TRAN Binh Gia, which was part of a larger communist campaign, was conducted by the Viet Cong from December 28, 1964, to January 1, 1965, during the Vietnam War in Binh Gia. The battle took place in Phuatui province, now part of Ba Ria Vung Tau province, South Vietnam. The year of 1964 marked a decisive turning point in the Vietnam War. The fragility of the South Vietnamese government was reflected on the battlefield, where its military experienced great setbacks against the Viet Cong. Taking advantage of Saigon's political instability, communist leaders in Hanoi began preparing for war. Even though key members of North Vietnam's Politburo disagreed on the best strategy to reunite their country, they ultimately went ahead to prepare for armed struggle against South Vietnam and their American supporters. Towards the end of 1964, the Viet Cong commenced a series of large-scale military operations against the Army of the Republic of Vietnam, ARVN, as ordered by the North Vietnamese government. As part of their winter-spring offensive, the Viet Cong unleashed its newly created 9th Division against the South Vietnamese forces at Ben Gia, fighting a large set-piece battle for the first time. Over a period of four days, the Viet Cong 9th Division held its ground and mauled the best units the South Vietnamese Army could send against them, only breaking after intense attack by U.S. bombers. In July 1964, the Viet Cong 271st and 272nd regiments began moving into the provinces of Binh Duong, Binh Long and Phu Long to carry out their mission. During the first phase of their campaign, the Viet Cong regiments overran several strategic hamlets at Son Sang, Cam Zi, Dong Son and Tai Kai. Between August and September 1964, Viet Cong regiments executed deep thrusts into Binh Duong and Chau Tan to apply additional pressure on South Vietnamese outposts situated on Route 14. During the second phase of their campaign, the Viet Cong ambushed two South Vietnamese infantry companies and destroyed five armored vehicles, which consisted of M-24 Chaffee light tanks and M-113 armored personnel carriers. The Viet Cong defeated regular ARVN units at the strategic hamlets of Binh Mai and Binh Company. Col. Tom Incom, second from left, commander of the Viet Cong 272nd Regiment, with other high-ranking Viet Cong officers. During the war about 6,000 people lived in Binh Gia, and most of whom were staunchly anti-communist. The inhabitants of Binh Gia were Roman Catholic refugees who had fled from North Vietnam in 1954 during Operation Passage to Freedom because of fears of communist persecution. To prepare for their main battle, the Viet Cong 272nd Regiment was ordered to block Interprovincial Road No. 2 and 15, and destroy any South Vietnamese units attempting to reach Binh Gia from the southwestern flank of the battlefield. In the days leading up to the battle, the Viet Cong often came out to harass the local militia forces. On December 9, 1964, the 272nd Regiment destroyed an entire South Vietnamese Mechanized Rifle Company along Interprovincial Road No. 2, destroying 16 M113 APCs. On December 17, the 272nd Regiment destroyed another six armored vehicles on Interprovincial Road No. 15. During the early hours of December 28, 1964, Elements of the Viet Cong 271st Regiment and the 445th Company signaled their main attack on Binh Gia by penetrating the village's eastern perimeter. There, they clashed with members of the South Vietnamese Popular Force militiamen, which numbered about 65 personnel. The militia fighters proved no match for the Viet Cong and their overwhelming firepower, so they quickly retreated into underground bunkers and called for help. Once the village was captured, Colonel Tom Incom, the Viet Cong regimental commander established his command post in the main village church and waited for fresh reinforcements, which came in the form of heavy mortars, machine guns and recoilless rifles. To counter South Vietnamese helicopter assaults, Colonel Kham's troops set up a network of defensive fortifications around the village, with trenches and bunkers protected by land mines and barbed wire. The local Catholic priest, who was also the village chief, sent a bicycle messenger out to the Bà Rìa district headquarters to ask for a relief force. In response, The Ba Ria district chief sent out elements of two Vietnamese Rangers battalions to retake Binh Gia. On December 29, two companies of the ARVN 33rd Ranger Battalion and a company from the 30th Ranger Battalion were airlifted into area located west of Binh Gia by helicopters from the U.S. 118th Aviation Company to face an enemy force of unknown size. However, as soon as the soldiers from the 30th and 33rd Ranger battalions arrived at the landing zone, they were quickly overwhelmed by the Viet Cong in a deadly ambush. The entire 30th Ranger Battalion was then committed to join the attack, but they too did not initially succeed in penetrating the strong Viet Cong defensive lines. Several more companies of the Rangers then arrived for an attack from multiple directions. Two companies of the 33rd Ranger Battalion advanced from the northeast. One of them came to the outskirts of the village, but was unable to break through the enemy defenses. The other one, trying to outflank the enemy, had been lured into a kill zone in open terrain and were quickly obliterated in an ambush by the three VC battalions using heavy weapons. The two companies suffered a 70% casualty rate, and survivors were forced to retreat to the nearby Catholic Church. The 30th Rangers had more success by assaulting from the western direction and succeeded in fighting their way into the village, aided by local residents. It however also suffered heavy losses, with the battalion commander and his American advisor severely wounded. The local civilians in Binh Gia retrieved weapons and ammunition from the dead rangers, and hid the wounded government soldiers from the Viet Cong. The 38th Ranger Battalion, on the other hand, landed on the battlefield unopposed by the Viet Cong, and they immediately advanced on Binh Gia from the south. Soldiers from the 38th Rangers spent the whole day fighting, but they could not break through their enemy's defenses to link up with the survivors hiding in the church, and fell back after calling in mortar fire to decimate Viet Cong fighters moving to encircle them. The morning of December 30, the 4th South Vietnamese Marine Battalion moved out to Bien Hoa Air Base, waiting to be airlifted into the battlefield. The one-quarter Marine Battalion was the first unit to arrive on the outskirts of Binh Gia, but the first company commander decided to secure the landing zone, to wait for the rest of the battalion to arrive instead of moving on to their objective. After the rest of the 4th Marine Battalion had arrived, they marched towards the Catholic Church to relieve the besieged rangers. About one and a half hours later, the 4th Marine Battalion linked up with the 30th, 33rd and 38th Ranger Battalions, as the Viet Cong began withdrawing to the northeast. That afternoon the 4th Marine Battalion recaptured the village, but the Viet Cong was nowhere to be seen, as all their units had withdrawn from the village during the previous night, linking with other Viet Cong elements in the forest to attack the government relief forces. On the evening of December 30, the Viet Cong returned to Binh Gia and attacked from the southeastern perimeter of the village. The local villagers, who discovered the approaching Viet Cong, immediately sounded the alarm to alert the ARVN soldiers defending the village. The South Vietnamese were able to repel the Viet Cong, with support from U.S. Army helicopter gunships flown out from Bung Tau Air Base. While pursuing the Viet Cong, a helicopter gunship from the U.S. 68th Assault Helicopter Company was shot down and crashed in the Quang Giao rubber plantation, about four kilometers away from Binh Gia, killing four of its crewmen. On December 31st, the U.S. Marines Advisory Group sent a team of four personnel, led by Captain Donald G. Cook, to Binh to observe conditions on the battlefield. At the same time, the 4th Marine Battalion was ordered to locate the crashed helicopter and recover the bodies of the dead American crewmen. Acting against the advice of his American advisor, Major Win Van No, commander of the 4th Marine Battalion, sent his two-fourths Marine Battalion company out to the Quang Giao Rubber Plantation. Unknown to the 4th Marine Battalion, the Viet Cong 271st Regiment had assembled in the plantation. About one hour after they had departed from the village of Binh Gia, the commander of the 24th Marine Battalion reported via radio that his troops had found the helicopter wreckage and bodies of four American crewmen. Shortly afterward, the Viet Cong opened fire and the 2 Marine Battalion was forced to pull back. In an attempt to save the second company, the entire 4th Marine Battalion was sent out to confront the Viet Cong. As the lead element of the 4th Marine Battalion closed in on the Quang Giao plantation, they were hit by accurate Viet Cong artillery fire, which was soon followed by repeated human wave attacks. Having absorbed heavy casualties from the Viet Cong's ambush, the 2 4th Marine Battalion had to fight their way out of the plantation with their bayonets fixed. During the entire ordeal, the company did not receive artillery support because the plantation was beyond the range of 105mm artillery guns based in Phuatui and Ba Ria. They, however, escaped with the crucial support of the U.S. aircraft and helicopters whose rocket attacks forced the enemy to pull back and halted their attempt at pursuit. In the morning of December 31, the 4th Marine Battalion returned to the crash site with the entire force and the American graves were located and their corpses were dug up. At about 3 p.m., a single U.S. helicopter arrived on the battlefield to evacuate the casualties, but they only picked up the bodies of the four American crewmen, while South Vietnamese casualties were forced to wait for another helicopter to arrive. At 4 p.m., Major Win Van No ordered the 4th Marine Battalion to carry their casualties back to the village, instead of continuing to wait for the helicopters. As the 4th Marine Battalion began their return march, three Viet Cong battalions, with artillery support, suddenly attacked them from three directions. The battalions commanding and executive officers were immediately killed and air support was not available. Two Marine companies managed to fight their way out of the ambush and back to Binh Gia, but the third was overrun and almost completely wiped out. The fourth company desperately held out at a hilltop against Viet Cong artillery barrages and large infantry charges before slipping out through the enemy positions at dawn. The Fourth Marine Battalion of 426 men lost a total of 117 soldiers killed, 71 wounded, and 13 missing. Among the casualties were 35 officers of the Fourth Marine Battalion killed in action and the four American advisors attached to the unit were also wounded. Backed by U.S. Air Force bombers, on January 1st three battalions of ARV and airborne reinforcements arrived, they were too late as most of the Viet Cong had already withdrawn from the battlefield. The Binh Gia Victory Monument located in Chau Duc District, Ba Ria Vung Tau. The Battle of Binh Gia reflected the Viet Cong's growing military strength and influence, especially in the Mekong Delta region. It was the first time the Viet Cong launched a large-scale operation, holding its ground and fighting for four days against government troops equipped with armor, artillery, and helicopters, and aided by U.S. air support and military advisors. The Viet Cong demonstrated that when well supplied with military supplies from North Vietnam, they had the ability to fight and inflict damage even on the best ARVN units. The Viet Cong apparently suffered light casualties with only 32 soldiers officially confirmed killed, and they did not leave a single casualty on the battlefield. In recognition of the 271st Regiment's performance during the Binh Gia Campaign, the NLF High Command bestowed the title Binh Gia Regiment on the unit to honor their achievement. Unlike their adversaries, the South Vietnamese military suffered heavily in their attempts to recapture the village of Binh Gia and secure the surrounding areas. The South Vietnamese and their American allies lost the total of about 201 personnel killed in action, 192 wounded, and 68 missing. In just four days of fighting, two of South Vietnam's elite ranger companies were destroyed and several others suffered heavy losses, while the 4th Marine Battalion was rendered ineffective as a fighting force. At that stage of the war, Binh Gia was the worst defeat experienced by the South Vietnamese. Despite their losses, the South Vietnamese Army considered the battle as their victory and erected a monument at the site of the battle to acknowledge the sacrifices of the soldiers who had fallen to retake Binh Gia. The Hill Fights The Hill Fights, also known as the First Battle of Khe Sanh, was a battle during the Vietnam War between the People's Army of Vietnam, PAVN 325C Division and United States Marines in spring of 1967. On 20 April operational control of the Que Son Area passed to the 3rd Marine Regiment. On April 22, 1967 SLF Bravo comprising 2nd Battalion 3rd Marines supported by HM-164 had commenced Operation Beacon Star on the southern part of the street without joy straddling Quang Tri and Tuatian provinces against the Viet Cong 6th Regiment and 810th and 812th Battalions. Hill 861 On 24 April 2nd Platoon, Company B, 3rd Battalion 3rd Marines moved to Hill 700 to establish a mortar position to support another company. Five Marines then moved to Hill 861 to establish an observation post, but as they entered a bamboo grove near the summit they were ambushed by the Povn killing four Marines. April 29, 1967, Hill 861, South Vietnam, 4-29-1967 Hill 861, South Vietnam picture shows U.S. Marines standing on Hill 861 after a three-day battle with the North Vietnamese they are all carrying heavy artillery and the man in the foreground is leaning on his gun and wearing a poncho. Image by copyright Batman slash Corpus. After this contact, a squad was sent to investigate and rescue the lone survivor of the ambush, as they attempted to recover the bodies of the dead they were met with fire and withdrew into the mortar position. Another squad moved to the ambush site and recovered two bodies but as an evacuation helicopter approached the hilltop it was hit by heavy fire, which was suppressed by helicopter gunships. 1st and 3rd platoons Company B were then ordered to move southeast across Hill 861 to cut off the pub but were hit by mortar fire, medevac helicopters were called in, attracting Povn fire each time. 1st and 3rd platoons dug in for the night while 2nd platoon withdrew to Kaysan Combat Base, KSCB. Marines' losses for the day were 12 dead, 2 missing, later found dead, and 17 wounded. The next morning Company B continued its slow advance on Hill 861, hampered by fog, difficult terrain and Pub fire. On the afternoon of 25th of April, Company K, 3rd Marines, which was scheduled to relieve Company B at KSCB from 29 April, arrived at KSCB and immediately moved towards Hill 861 to support Company B. 1st and 3rd platoons Company K moved up Hill 861 on different approaches and 1st platoon was hit by fire from well-entrenched from 300 meters from the summit. 2nd platoon was sent to reinforce 1st platoon and the fighting continued until nightfall when the Marines dug in. At 1800 hours Company K, 9th Marines was flown into KSCB to support the attack. At 5 o'clock on 26th of April the 3rd Battalion Command Post and KSCB were hit by mortar and recoilless rifle fire. Company K continued their assault on Hill 861 and was joined by Company K, 9th Marines around midday. The assault made little progress and the Marines withdrew protected by fire from helicopter gunships. Company B was also heavily engaged throughout the morning eventually breaking contact at 12 o'clock and establishing a defensive perimeter on a knoll. Medevac helicopters were called in but as they approached this brought Povn mortar fire and by 14.45 the company commander reported that he was unable to move. Artillery was then walked into and around the company's position forcing the Povn to fall back. A marine platoon was then sent to assist Company B as it fell back to the battalion command post. On 27 April 3-3 Marines returned to KSCB for replacements and Battery B-12 Marines arrived at KSCB to support Battery F. Marine artillery and aircraft were used to pound Hill 861 throughout the 27th and 28th, dropping 518,700 pounds of bombs and 1,800 artillery round on the hill. Due to the dense foliage and overhead cover protecting many of the bunkers Marine aircraft dropped Snake Eye bombs to remove the foliage and expose the bunkers and then larger bombs, up to 2,000 pounds, to destroy them. The Marines' plan was for two-thirds Marines to take Hill 861, then three-thirds Marines would move west securing the ground between Hill 861 and Hill 881 south. Two-thirds Marines would then provide flank security for three-thirds Marines and take Hill 881 north. On the afternoon of 28 April 2-3 Marines moved up Hill 861 with minimal opposition as the POVN had withdrawn from the hill. The Marines found 25 bunkers and numerous fighting positions and reported an odor of dead bodies across the hilltop. Hill 881 South On 29th of April with two-thirds Marines having secured Hill 861, three-thirds Marines advanced from KSCB towards a hill 750 meters northeast of Hill 881S that was to be used as an intermediate position for the attack on Hill 881S. Company M, 9th Marines engaged a potent platoon while company M 3rd marines secured the intermediate position and dug in on 30 april 2nd/3 marines moved from hill 861 to support 3/3 marines and walked into a pof bunker complex suffering 9 killed and 43 wounded the marines backed off to let artillery and air support hit the bunkers and then overran them company M 3rd marines and company K 9th marines began their assault on hill 81s encountering minimal resistance until 1025 when they were hit by mortar fire and then heavy fire from numerous bunkers the Marines were pinned down and only able to disengage after several hours with gunship and air support, the Marines suffered 43 killed and 109 wounded in the engagement while PAVN losses were 163 killed. Company M3rd Marines was rendered combat ineffective and was replaced by Company F 2 rds Marines and Company E, 9th Marines was deployed to KSCB on the afternoon of 1st of May. The Marines withdrew from Hill 881S to allow for an intense air bombardment, On 1 May 166 Marine sorties were flown against Hills 881 North and South and over 650,000 pounds of bombs were dropped on them resulting in over 140 pub killed. On 2 May Companies K&M, 9th Marines assaulted Hill 881S capturing it with minimal resistance by 1420. The Marines discovered over 250 bunkers protected by anywhere between two and eight layers of logs and then four to five feet of earth, only 50 bunkers remained intact after the bombing. Hill 881 North. At 10:15 on 2nd of May, Company E and G, two-thirds Marines, assaulted Hill 881N from the south and east. Company G encountered a POV position and pulled back to allow for artillery support. Company E almost reached the summit of the hill when it was hit by an intense rainstorm, and the battalion was pulled back into night defensive positions. At 4:15 on 3rd of May, a POV force attacked Company E's night defensive position, penetrating the east of the position and reoccupying some bunkers. A Marine squad sent to drive out the Puffin was hit by machine gun fire and a scratch squad of engineers was sent to support them while air and artillery strikes were called in on the Puffin. A flareship arrived overhead and the Marines on Hill 881S could see approximately 200 POVN forming up to attack Company E from the west and fired over 100 rounds of recoilless rifle fire to break up this fresh assault. At dawn, reinforcements were flown in to support Company E while Company H-2 Marines attacked the Puffin from the rear. The last bunker was cleared at 1500 hours, 27 Marines were killed and 84 wounded in the attack, while the Puffin had lost 137 killed and three captured. Prisoner interrogations revealed plans for another attack on the Marine positions that night but this did not occur. At 8.50 on 5th of May Companies E and f 2 rds Marines began their assault on Hill 881N, Puffin fire increased as they neared the summit and both companies pulled back to allow for air and artillery strikes. The assault resumed at 1300 hours and by 1445 the hilltop had been captured. After securing Hill 881 and the Marines thoroughly searched the area around Hills 881 and 881S and air artillery strikes were called in on suspected Puffin positions, but it appeared that the Puffin had withdrawn north across the DMZ or west into Laos. Hill 861 in the forefront and beyond are 881S, Left Peak, and 881N. On 9 May Company f 2/3 Marines encountered a Poven force 3.2 km northwest of Hill 881N, artillery fire was called in and Company E was deployed in support. The engagement resulted in 24 Marines killed and 19 wounded while Poven losses were 31 killed, while a further 203 recent graves were discovered in the area. At midnight on September 10 May the Poven attacked Reconnaissance Team Breaker of the 3rd Reconnaissance Battalion, the POV could have easily overrun the Marines but instead targeted the Marine helicopters attempting to extract them severely damaging several helicopters. Marine losses were four reconnaissance team members and one helicopter pilot, while POV losses were seven dead. The Hill fights officially ended on 10 May. Marine losses were 155 dead and 425 wounded while PUVN losses were 940 confirmed dead. Intelligence gathered after the battle was over found that the PAVN plan was to build up stores and positions north of KSCB, isolate the base from resupply by attacks on Marines' bases in Northern I Corps, launch a diversionary attack on Lang Bay Special Forces Camp, which occurred as scheduled on 4th of May, and then several regiments of the 325C Division would overrun KSCB, however, the encounter on 24th of April had frustrated the Putin plan. The Battle of Trangbang 1st BDE-A Combined Arms Team of 25th Inf Div Armour and N- Infantry killed more than 100 Viet Cong and North Vietnamese forces in a third full day of heavy fighting 54 kilometers northwest of Saigon. The actions brought to 340 the total number of enemy dead since elements of the 2nd 27th Inf. Wolfhounds of the 25th Division came in contact with an estimated enemy regiment in rice paddies and hedgerows near the district capital of Trang Bang. The action began as Kobe, 2nd BN, 14th Inf, touched down in open fields east of a small village 4 kilometers west of the scene of a 20-hour battle that cost enemy forces 87 dead. Repeating the first fight, the company came under heavy enemy small arms, automatic weapons and rocket fire as it approached the village. Calling for reinforcements, two more companies joined the battle. They also began to return fire with small arms, machine guns and grenade launchers against the entrenched enemy. Soon after the contact began helicopter gunships, artillery and Air Force fighter-bombers were called in to aid the embattled battalion. In addition, a nearby armored task force, led by the 2nd BN-34th Armor, with Kosi of the 1st BN Mech, 5th Inf, sped to the scene of the fight to block off the village to the south. Repeated assaults by the U.S. forces were stopped by the enemy. At nightfall, the infantry armored task force pulled back while 20 air strikes and 5,000 rounds of artillery pounded the area throughout the night. An early morning assault again halted when the ground units received heavy fire upon approaching the village. After the second series of artillery and airstrikes, the U.S. forces encountered only light resistance and swept through the village. According to LTC Alfred M. Bracey, task force commander, an estimated Viet Cong and North Vietnamese battalion had occupied the village. Bracy praised his men for their actions, stating that their morale was high despite the two around-the-clock battles in three days there's a job to do and we will do it, said Bracy of his unit spirit. SP4 Jimmy J. Mathis of Cochrane, Georgia, repeated his commander's comments, we've had so much contact lately, doing the right thing is just becoming natural in a fight. A few of the men even expressed a certain sympathy for the enemy. When I get tired and worn out, I think about how much better off we are than Charlie, and I feel better, said SP4 Daniel R. Mitchell of Santa Maria, California, as he watched an airstrike fall on the enemy. Captured enemy equipment in the action included 14 AK-47 assault rifles, two RPG-2 rocket launchers, six Shikom light machine guns and thousands of rounds of small arms ammunition. This is also the same village made infamous in 1972 when a South Vietnamese Air Force pilot mistakenly dropped Napalm on the village. A photo taken shows a young girl who was severely burned and running up the street toward troops, Napalm girl. VC machine gun a captured Viet Cong heavy anti-aircraft machine gun receives close inspection by members of the 2nd BN, 34th Armor, 25th Inf Div, who captured it in a battle 54 kilometers northwest of Saigon. Photo by SP-5 Gary Johnson. Battle of Tam Quan. The following account is told by Rigo Ordas, who participated in the battle and published this article on History.com. The Battle of Tamquan December 6-20 pitted elements of the 1st Cavalry Division's 1st Brigade and the 1st Battalion, mechanized, 50th Infantry against a tenacious and well-fortified enemy of the 22nd NVA Regiment of the 3rd, Cao Vang Yellow Star, NVA Division. The battle took place close to the town of Tamquan in the central highlands coastal northern part of Bindin province. The Battle of Tamquan was the biggest and most successful during Operation Pershing. The victorious U.S. units destroyed at least two battalions of the 22nd NVA Regiment which was setting up for the upcoming 1968 Tet Offensive. It accounted for one-eighth of all enemy killed for the whole year. When the smoke of the battle cleared the 1st Cavalry Division and the 1st Battalion, mechanized, 50th Infantry emerged victorious and the enemy lost over 650 of their troops against only 58 U.S. casualties in a battle which is rated 15th of the 20 deadliest battles of the Vietnam War. Unfortunately, the 150M infantry lost 12 Americans on the 10th of December alone. Aerial reconnaissance forces of the 1st Cavalry Divisions had found many indications of a true build-up which includes an enormous Russian ship-to-shore radio on the beach. During the month of November and the first part of December 1967 there were many indications that the enemy was building up forces in preparation for the coming Tet Offensive in the Bong Son Plains of Bindin Province. Their major targets would be U.S. and ARVN forces and the major district capitals. On the 6th day of December a reconnaissance helicopter of the 1-9th, 1st Cavalry Division spotted a radio antenna sticking out of a hooch in the vicinity of the village of Troop Troopa 1-9th sent a platoon of the Blues, infantry, to investigate. At 1,630 hours while approaching the area the platoon came under intense automatic and small arms fire and was pinned down. The weapons platoon of the 1-9th was sent in to help and they also were pinned down and unable to move. They had stumbled upon a large enemy force of the 22nd NVA Regiment. This was the beginning of the Battle of Tamquan. The two platoons were in great danger of being overrun and destroyed. It was late in the afternoon and soon it would be night time. At 1725 the 1st assumed control of the action from the 2nd and directed B Company 1 8th Cav to the contact area and joined up with a platoon of the A Company 150 Mech Infantry which had been dispatched from LZ English a few miles away. The combined troops encountered stiff resistance from a well-entrenched enemy. With the firepower of the platoon of APCs they were finally able to extract the two platoons of 1 9th by 2100 hours. There is no doubt that had it not been for the firepower of the APCs of A Company 150, Mech, infantry, the mission would have been more perilous and at a greater cost of American lives. A-150 and B-18th Cav established their night perimeter and called in artillery and illumination for the night. They had no further contact that night. The flamethrower tracks, Zippo, of the 150 Mech were especially useful in neutralizing the bunkers and trenches since the 1st Cav Division had no tanks attached to them at the time. Two D-7 bulldozers from the 19th Engineers were brought in to destroy the bunkers and to clear a pathway for 150 APCs. The Engineers had several Kias from their unit and were credited with killing 10 NVA soldiers. Delta Company 150, MEC, was released from the 2nd and became OpCon to 1-8th CAV, first bit 1,230 hours on 7th of December. At 1,406 hours, A, and B-1-8th Cav and Delta Company 150 mech with flamethrower APCs successfully penetrated the initial bunker and trench network. Delta Company formed all of its APCs in a line facing east with troops of the 1-8th Cav in between the tracks. With all of the company's 50 California and M-60s, M-79s and personal weapons going on at the same time, it was beautiful sights and sounds. One of the 1-8th Cav troopers later mentioned that they had never heard so much racket in their life. The enemy probably thought the same thing. Delta Company 150 Mech and 1-8th Cav had succeeded in penetrating the initial bunker and trench network on the first day US troops counterattacked. Soon we started seeing some of the enemy coming out of the bunker some with arms missing, not a sign of pain on their faces. They must have been doped up and some of them still continued firing. Every evening when we pulled to a defensive position for the night we would get replenished with ammunition, food, and hopefully some letters from home. Although we seemed to have the upper hand in this battle, none of us knew if we were going to make it. Two companies of the 2 8th Cav were sent northeast to the beach area to serve as a blocking force. They had only sporadic fire during the day. Their CP was momentarily pinned down as they tried to cross a rice paddy. The CP was finally extracted at 1900 hours. An ARVN, Army of the Republic of Vietnam, unit conducting screening operations to the north of the contact area was engaged in heavy contact throughout the day with enemy forces trying to escape to the north. The ARVN force conducting screening operation to the south had no contact. On the morning of December 7, the commander of the 1st Vid, Colonel Rattan, committed Delta Company, the newest company in the battalion, to the battle. Delta Company had just been formed upon arrival of the 150M Inf. VN to Vietnam September 22, 1967. It was formed from personnel from HQ Company, Supply, other companies, and new replacements. The battalion had just started operations on October 7, 1967 and within a month it was already in the thick of its first major battle. When the order came we had been operating out of LZ Pony, a Green Beret post in the middle of 506 Valley. For the past month of November, Delta 152nd Platoon had been going out on patrols on foot in the high mountains of the 506 Valley and then we pulled night security for the Special Forces camp at night. Delta Company 150 was spread out in the AL. Some of the troops were at uplift, some troops were with the CO, CPT Bruce Braun at uplift and LZ English, 2nd Platoon Plus was at LZ Pony. One Lt. Welch, 2nd Platoon leader yelled, Okay everybody, let's mount up. I didn't know what he was talking about because we had been on foot or combat assault since I got to Vietnam and I didn't know we had M113 APCs or cabs. We all climbed gladly into the APCs but were held up for a while because we were missing two troopers. Eventually, we found them playing cards at the little club the Green Berets had there. Finally, we took off, and by 1145 hours, we were on Highway 1 close to the contact area, waiting for further orders. Tank on perimeter at LZ Uplift. Delta Mortar Platoon had been called to LZ Uplift, our BN base camp, to replenish their mortar loads and join the rest of the company at the contact site. The 1 8th Cav had Air assaulted the rest of their companies and had started their attack in the initial contact area by 0915 hours, but were pulled back because they encountered stiff enemy resistance. A barrage of fire from well-prepared enemy positions, and well-camouflaged bunkers and trenches halted their advance. As they pulled back the area was prepped with artillery, CS, Aura, and air strikes which were called in to hit the area. On December 8, after an early morning artillery tot hit the enemy positions around the original area of contact. It was followed by an air strike and CS, tear gas, to drive the enemy out of the bunkers. The wind shifted and the CS cloud hit us as we were poised to attack. The problem was that there were not enough gas masks to go around. Some of the troops were choking and coughing. Even with the gas mask on, the CS was so concentrated that all our body was stinging with the gas. Most of the ARVNs didn't have gas masks and were seen running toward a ravine for protection. At 0845 hours on December 8, D1 50 MEC began a reconnaissance in force to the east edge of the village, Dai Dongtu, and we encountered light resistance. We pushed east and north and then we returned to the starting point. C-1-8 CAV had replaced B-1-8, which had been in the initial assault on the 6th December Delta-1-50 mech Kept on working with A and C1-8 CAV as we conducted a coordinated attack east and north, finding many destroyed bunkers and enemy killed. We swept back through the same area policing the battlefield. Some of the guys in the mortar platoon loaded dead NVA on their APC's trimbane and took them to a designated area. Delta Company mortars, for the most part, we were in an infantry role since a lot of the red leg fire missions were being coordinated by Brigade HQS. We returned to a night perimeter at 1530. On this day, HQ Company and B1 50 Mech. became OPCON to the 1st Bin were sent to LZ English North, a secure area, to prepare for employment. At 1245 hours, the two platoons of Alpha 1 50 Mech were sent to LZ Lowboy and LZ English for rest and to assume their defensive postures. The 1-8 CAV units operating in the beach area to the northeast had only light contact from snipers. The ARVN screening force to the north of the contact area had no contact with the enemy. The southern screening force engaged the 8th BN, 22nd NVA Regiment. This engagement ended at 1,500 hours. LZ English. On 9th of December, D-1-50 MEC along with A and C-1-8 CAV began the final sweep through Dai Dong at 0845 hours after artillery and CS strikes. There was little enemy resistance during the sweep and the southern edge of the village was reached by 1,530 hours. The force returned to the northwestern edge of the village and established that location at 1,630 hours, and returned to LZ English for some much-needed rest and security of the LZ. Delta 1-50 Mech had been in combat for three days. Also on the 9th December, at 0700 hours. Bravo Company 1-50 Mech moved out of LZ English north under the control of Task Force Dolphin, 1-50 Mech, and headed toward the beach area where it linked up with B1 8 CAF. C and D1 12 CAF set up blocking positions in the beach area. The Southern Screening Force, ARVN 40th RGMT, came under attack by elements of the 8th BN. 22nd NVA Regiment. At 0520 hours, the attack was repulsed but they had sporadic to heavy contact continued during the day five clicks north of Mayan, one village. On 10th of December at approximately 0900 hours, The commanding officer of the 40th ARVN Regiment reported that civilians were seen running from the village of Trong Lam. Task Force 1-12 relieved TF Dolphin and sent B-1-12 to join up with D-1-12 and B-1-50 mech. At 0925 hours. B-1-50 was directed to turn south and search Trong Lam 1, at 1055 hours while approaching Trong Lam 1, B-1-50 mech came under intense small arms and automatic weapons fire. This was the first time B-1-50 mech had engaged the enemy in the Battle of Tamquan. B-1-12 maneuvered to the right flank and C-1-12 air assaulted to the left flank at 1,220 hours. Apparently, B-1-50 Meg Company had been split up by a big ditch and part of the company came under intense enemy fire. The other part of the company could not cross the ditch to come to the aid of the beleaguered troops. The company lost 10 soldiers in that encounter. Three coordinated attacks by the three companies were made on the enemy positions during the afternoon. At the time B-1-50 Mech was in contact, Delta Company 1-50 was still at LZ English having spent the night there. We spent the morning getting ammo, and getting our weapons cleaned. D-1-50 Mech's rest was cut short as again they were called to the southern screening force area where the 40th ARVN was in heavy contact, and were caught in a crossfire from elements of the 8th BN-22nd NVA Regiment at bs 911,048. Each time the ARVs wanted to attack they came under a crossfire. Delta 1-50 Mech came to the rescue and hooked up with the ARBs at 1,545 hours on 10 December. At 1,600 hours they made a combined attack close to the village of My and two, the UPI reports for that day read like this. Greater than Saigon UPI, US armor spurting flame and machine gun fire broke through a North Vietnamese trap and rescued South Vietnamese troops in the six-day battle of Bong Sun Plain. Communist losses in the campaign 300 miles north of Saigon rose to at least 305 Sunday after the hell-for-leather-type dash by armored personnel carriers, APCs, of THE-1ST Air Cavalry Division Sunday in the six-day Battle of Bong Sun Plain. Greater than. Greater than UPI Bong Sun on the coastal Bong Sun Plain, about 1,000 survivors of the North Vietnam's 22nd Regiment were frantically unleashing all their firepower from bunkers dug under huts of a rice paddy village. The ISD Kef sent a company of APCs to the rescue Sunday when South Vietnamese troops were caught in a crossfire. During that firefight on 10 December, Lt. Sandowski, D1-50, was killed and we had others wounded including some straight legs who were working beside us. It is a possibility that some of the wounded were by friendly fire. Our two medics in Delta Company, Pete Tovar, and Ron Provenche worked frantically tending the wounded right away. In that engagement, Pete Tovar distinguished himself when he went to the aid of the wounded soldiers under a hail of automatic and small arms fire. His heroic actions earned him a bronze star with a V-device. While this action was taking place, Bravo 1-50 mech was about 15 kilometers away. Each line company had two medics which most of the time had their hands full with their own company during a firefight. Delta 1-50 remained opcon to Task Force Dolphin. The commanders of the 40th ARVN and TF Dolphin were in a command and control helicopter above the battlefield, controlled the combined attack. They kept in constant contact with Delta Commander through his RTOs Louis Friesby and Fred Bantle. 15 December One of the last major encounters of the battle was initiated by C-1-12 in an area around mine close to Trong Law. By the end of the day, seven U.S. companies and two ARVN battalions were thrown into the firefight. A request for a mech unit was granted, and A-150 was sent in the afternoon. A soldier from the 1st Cav DIV was awarded the Medal of Honor in this encounter. 19 December again an aerial recon by A Troop 1 9th CAF found an antenna wire leading to a large bunker complex. At 1,408 D2-8 Cav air assaulted into the area and was engaged by an unknown size enemy force. A total of six air strikes were called in and by 1,700 hours bunker complex was completely destroyed. December 24 airstrikes and intensive artillery were used to neutralize the contact area before a coordinated attack with D-2-8C and C-1-50MEC were to move on line and cross the Bong Sun River. Swift tidal currents and steep muddy banks on the Bong Sun River prevented C-1-50MEC from crossing to join the attack. D-2-8CAF completed the attack with no contact. The Battle of Tamquan ended at 2400 hours on 20 December 1967. The 2-8 CAV remained in the area digging through the demolished bunkers and fortified positions recovering enemy bodies and weapons. The 1st Battalion, M, 50th Infantry had met its first combat test in a major battle and had come out successful and victorious. The Battle of Quan turned out to be the 150M Infantry's biggest engagement during its stay in Vietnam. Copyright Rigo Ordas, 2002-2005. All rights reserved. NOTE There are volumes of books that list every battle, operation of the war. This was not my intent here. Information used for the series of battles in this article was obtained from the History Channel, Military Channel, YouTube, Tropic Lightning News, Wikipedia, and Vietnam Magazine. Click below for more articles in this series. Military Engagements, 1 of 3. Military Engagements, 2 of 3. Military Engagements, 3 of 3. Dash Thank you for taking the time to read this. Should you have a question or comment about this article, then scroll down to the comment section below to leave your response. If you want to learn more about the Vietnam War and its warriors, then subscribe to this blog and get notified by email or your feed reader every time a new story, picture, video or changes occur on this website. The button is located at the top right of this page. I've also created a poll to help identify my website audience before leaving. Can you please click here and choose the one item best describing you? Thank you in advance.